Hey, would you guys welcome our friend Eric Klingel to the stage? Good morning, Summit Church. Charles has been preaching for us. We were stalking online a little bit to see how he was doing, and he was doing a great job. And uh, we were kind of expecting him to tank and burn, but he was doing really good. So we, uh, we love the staff here at this church, and we've met just some of them in like the last year. And I think quickly our hearts, um, we're just tied to theirs. And you have a great leadership team here. If you're thankful for your staff, would you say amen? There's some uh, godly men that are my friends, and so I'm just thankful for them that we've gotten to know them, that we've been able to call them and ask them things and talk to them about ministry already. And so even just to be able to partner with them this weekend has been really good. We want to welcome you if you're joining us online. I hope if you're online, you've got your Bible. If you don't, go get your Bible. It's on a shelf someplace. Now's the time to get it. If you have your Bible with you today, or even if you have an app on your phone, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 6. We're going to look in Luke 6 today at a familiar passage of scripture that I hope will be a blessing to you and an encouragement to you. It's, uh, it's a passage that's hit me, um, and I've needed this passage, especially in the season that we find ourselves in, and I hope that it's a blessing to you today. We're going to be in Luke 6, and we'll uh, start by looking at verse number 17. I believe a lot of you are churched people. A lot of you have grown up in church, and so you know God's word and you know God's stories. And so I'm going to ask you a question here. We're going to read verse 17 together, and I want you to try to tell me what this passage is about. Verse 17 says this, He, Jesus, came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, starts teaching, and he's with a great group of people. And look with me now at verse 20 of Luke 6. It says this. So Jesus starts to preach. He starts to teach, and he says these words. Are they familiar to you? He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you if you're hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh Verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you. Does those verses sound familiar to you? This is Jesus preaching a very famous sermon called the Sermon on the, do you guys know? Not the Sermon on the Mount. Nope, I tricked you. Would you look back at verse 17? I tricked you. All of you said Mount. It's not the Mount. Look at verse 17. He came down with them and stood on a level place. This is the Sermon on the Plain. Have you ever heard about that one? It's not on the airplane. It's on the flat plane. He is preaching his Sermon on the Plain. But if you know Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, you know that a lot of those phrases, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, come from that sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. So what's going on here? Jesus is traveling, preaching his same message twice. I'm preaching a message today, and I preached it about seven, eight months ago. And so a lot of the message I preached seven, eight months ago, I'm reteaching today because Jesus' favorite message that he taught over and over again is a message that I believe we need to hear over and over again. And he says some things for us today that aren't new. In fact, he preached them in multiple places in God's word, but they're so important for the family of God. And what we're going to look now at is a rich passage of this sermon as Christ addresses relationships in his sermon on the plain. So would you look with me at verse number 27? It says this, 
as Christ is preaching. He's preaching an upside-down style message. It's a blessing to weep. It's a blessing to be hungry. And he preaches uh, out of the box when he talks about relationships. Verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your neighbor. Love your family. That's not what it says. But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those that abuse you. Verse 29. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. If someone hits you on the cheek, Jesus says to turn the other cheek. This is a different way of teaching. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. If someone takes away your jacket, give him your gloves as well. That's what Jesus says here. Verse 30. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes your goods, do not demand them back. Christ is preaching here to a group of people. And as he's preaching, he's preaching the opposite thing that they want to hear. And he's actually telling them, your poverty is not bad. The enemies that attack you, that's not necessarily bad. You shouldn't reject that. In fact, in a weird way, you should embrace that. We're we're Americans, and we live in a blessed country, and the best state in the United States, Michigan, right? It's the best place to live. We live in a great place. We are blessed beyond measure. And so a lot of this passage is just a disconnect for us. We should embrace poverty. We should embrace our enemies. A lot of us, this is so distant to us, and and Christ is telling us to think differently about our personal situation. So I want to help paint the picture you today to kind of help just put some skin on this, some clarity here. So is Jasper still in the house? Jasper, I'm going to pull you up to help me here. And then I need you to grab a friend, a minion, anyone you want. Teenager, perfect. This is going to go great with a teenager on the stage. Taylor, can you hand me the white bubble wrap here? All right. And that one too. The little one's perfect. Okay. This is what you're going to help me with. What's your name, buddy? Kirk. Kirk. Kirk, we're going to wrap Jasper here in some bubble wrap. Okay. Make sure he's super protected this Sunday. We want to make sure that he's ready for church. So I'm going to have you help me wrap him. Okay, can you put this? Put your arms up, Jasper. Perfect. Just like that. Okay, we're going to spin this bad boy around. All right. Now we have to either wrap him loose or tight. What do you want to do? I think tight is the game plan here. Kids say tight, so we're going to go tight. This is really good. Right around the abdominal section. Perfect. Okay, that's pretty good. Okay, now we got to put your uh, arms on here. Here you go. You fit that one. All right, let's slide this on. Your hands are kind of sticky for some reason. Are you sweating there, Jasper? All right, that's pretty good. He's about ready. He looks really protected. We got one more thing. His uh, hat. Thank you, buddy. We're set. I wanted to match the color of his eyes. A little bonnety here. I think this will work. Are you? What color eyes do you have? Enchanting. Jasper looks good. Okay, Jasper is set. He is, uh, he's coded today. Okay, let's talk, about, let's talk about this passage. Christ says, embrace hardships, problems, trials in life. As Americans, this is so distant from how we do life. We bubble wrap ourselves constantly. We balloon our checking accounts. 
We make sure retirement's set up. We got life insurance, health insurance. We got everything taken care of in our life. We don't have the clunker car. We've got the car that's dependable. And we do everything we can naturally. Our natural reaction is to coat ourselves and to protect ourselves. But this is what happens in our lives. We struggle and our day is great. And then we get out to the car. We're in the grocery store and there's a ding in the door. And man, those bubbles get popped. And now our great day has turned into a terrible day. Kids, you're playing with your brother. And then he locks you out of the bedroom and says, you can't play with us anymore, pretty, pretty princess. And now your day is ruined. Some of you guys, you are at work and everything's going great. And then one of the employees says something sideways, kind of cuts you at the knees, doesn't give you the attention you deserve. And now, oh, that, that, that one hurts. That one affected me. We are dealing with relationships. We come home to see our wife. We're hoping she says there's lasagna on the table. There ain't no lasagna SpaghettiOs tonight. (laughs) We are hoping she'll say, welcome home to the abode. But she says, why did you work so late? She doesn't say I smell good. She doesn't say I'm attractive. She doesn't say any of those things. And in our lives, in this, like, this Americanized view we have of everything, we're so coded and so protected that our tendency is to struggle and get offended when the little things in life get hit. I mean, we, we're not dealing with poverty today. Many of us came to church today and you weren't thinking, man, I hope they have food for me because I haven't had groceries in a week. Many of us are not dealing with the type of trials in the church. We live in a different type of perspective completely. And God says, hey, we embrace the hardships. We don't reject them. You did great today, Jasper. I'm going to let you keep that hat too. Okay, this is for you. Actually, I'll give this to the kids. You can walk off stage just like that. Give Jasper a hand. He did great. Okay, so here's, uh, here's the big idea today in the drive of this message. Are you ready? Jesus doesn't preach bubble wrap your life. He doesn't preach bubble wrap your relationships. He doesn't preach bubble wrap your uh, work environment, bubble wrap your home, protect and layer yourself. He doesn't preach that at all. In fact, he says, don't put up your guard. Christ says, put down your guard, especially in this land of relationships. And so as Christ is talking, he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. He preaches the opposite of what naturally we want to do. We want to layer up. He says, layer down. And so let's talk today about some different ways that we wrap ourselves, we code ourselves, we protect ourselves specifically as we talk about relationships. Here's the first one. We tend to put up walls. In our lives, our tendency is to put up walls as a layer of protection. Maybe We're blocking someone's phone number, blocking someone's Facebook account. Maybe at work, we're trying not to make eye contact with someone because they've wronged us or there was an awkward statement and so we don't know how to process and deal with that. So we're just going to avoid and we're going to avoid and we're going to try to just not go to the grocery store when my ex might be at the grocery store and our tendency is to to keep walls there. And so one of the things that we naturally do to protect ourselves is we put up walls with other people. We give them the cold shoulder. We treat them a certain way because we just want to keep them distant. And God says, love your enemies though. 
Here's a second way that we tend to wrap ourselves to protect ourselves in this area of relationships. Not only do we put up walls, but we tend to trash people. We tend to say it like it is and throw them under the bus. If you sat down to eat your lunch today and 10% of your food was rotten, I would tell you, don't eat the food. The food's bad. You can't, you can't eat that. If 10% of the milk in the jug is bad, you would throw out the milk. This is bad milk. We have a tendency to turn conversations rotten, trash people. And here's a huge way we do it, by changing like 10% of the details I see this sometimes in my life. I'll be telling a story and I'll leave out one word and insert a different one and I'll raise my voice just a little bit or lower my voice during a story to just sway the opinion of someone as I'm talking about someone else. Have you ever done that or am I alone? Our tendency is to trash, to throw under the bus, to protect ourselves by throwing someone else down. And God says, pray for your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Our tendency is to trash those that curse you. I've, uh, I've, I've dealt with parents quite a bit who, who deal with divorced situations. So maybe they've had an ex, maybe they've been divorced, or maybe the kids have gotten a divorce or their aunt and uncle have gotten a divorce. I've dealt with a lot of individuals who've wrestled with divorce situations. It is ridiculously easy. It's so easy to trash people in divorce situations. Yeah, the reason I left your dad was because he did these 17 things. The reason I left your mama is because she was crazy and our tendency is to trash and throw under the bus. You want to talk about a difficult time to bless and, and not curse and to pray for? Let's talk about, let's talk about divorce. Um, hey, it's easy to trash. It's hard to pray. And so I want to encourage some of you maybe, you, maybe you have grandkids, maybe you have a niece or a nephew or your children, and you know what it's like to navigate divorce waters. You know what the Bible says to do? Pray. So I want to encourage some of you to do something that's really raw and real and hard. And if you've got grandkids over to your house or an opportunity to pray for kids, here's a great thing you can do. You know what? Um, She tried her best, and we're thankful that she has a job. We're thankful that she's trying to get to church every once in a while. Not, she rarely goes to church. She's just now getting back on her feet. But no, 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 let's pray for her through a different lens, trying to bless those that curse. And so if you have divorced individuals in your life, I want to encourage you this week to think about praying for them and praying out loud for them. What do we tend to do? We tend to trash. The easy thing to do is to trash the hard thing to do is to bless. If you have your Bible still, would you look with me at verse 29 now? Let's, let's dig a little deeper here. It says this. If someone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. What does that look like? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Here's another way we wrap ourselves. We demand back. Maybe a better way to say that is we hold grudges. When I was in college, I had a friend of mine 
who sold me some rims and tires for my car. I had an older Camaro and he had some rims and tires and he says that these will fit. And so I bought a set of rims and tires for $400 because my tires were bad. And I was excited to put them on my car, but they didn't fit. And so I had a different buddy who had an Oldsmobile. And I said, hey, I'm pretty sure these rims will fit your Oldsmobile. If you want, I bought them for 400 bucks. I'll sell them to you. And he goes, absolutely, I'll take them for my car. And so he said, here's $200. He took the set of rims and tires. He put them on his car. They fit flawlessly. And I waited and I waited and I'm still waiting for the other $200. And I remember at graduation from college thinking to myself, I wonder if he'll finally pay me off. And I never re-brought it up again, but in my head, I brought it up again. And even though I never said, hey, give me the $200, in my head, I was going, bro, eventually pay me the $200. And he never paid me. One day I was telling that story to my youth group and uh, I was talking to some teenagers and I was telling the story about my buddy who never paid me for the rims. And a couple of months later, we were at a youth event. We were at Six Flags and my youth group was there with another youth group. My buddy's now a youth pastor with his youth group and he walks up and he says his name and one of the teenagers in my group goes, that's the guy that owes you $200. (laughs) That's what middle schoolers do, by the way. They say what they're thinking out loud. And I'm like, shut up, keep quiet. You know, don't say that. And uh, I found out in that moment, I never demanded back my $200, but I was demanding it back. I was telling others about it. And in my mind, I was demanding, you know how we layer up? We hold grudges, we demand back, we trash, we put up walls, and it's just layer upon layer upon layer. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm not preaching a bubble wrap gospel. I'm preaching a lower your guard gospel. We tend to protect ourselves. Okay, so what about, what about dangerous situations though? If you're like me and you read this and you're like, well, if I get hit in the face, do I just keep getting hit in the face? If I keep getting things stolen from me, do I just keep having things stolen from me. How do we balance this out? Because if you just read those verses and you go, you can get in a lot of trouble. Well, 30, verse 31 does a really good job of saying, okay, let's balance this out. Would you look at that verse with me? Verse 31 says this. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Hey, if you're a police officer, and let's say you're arresting a criminal and they punch you and they run away, okay, you're probably not supposed to kneel down and pray for them and just say, you're released, go ahead, here's my wallet too. No, you might need to tase them, right? In the name of Jesus, you're tased. The right thing to do might be to pursue them. The right thing to do is to pursue them, to put them under arrest for breaking the law. Okay, but here's the question. Okay, let's say you're dealing with an abusive, addictive person in your life, right? That keeps attacking you, that keeps wronging you. Here's the question. What would you wish was done to you? What do you wish was done to you? If you were in their shoes, if you found yourself in their situation, what would you want? What kind of mercy would you want? And so we're going to, I'm going to ask you to ask yourself three questions today about enemies. Here's, here's, here's the questions we're going to ask. What do we do when I'm wronged? 
What, what should we do when someone wrongs us? And how do we put this, th- these passages in a grid so we're just not doing this poverty gospel thing and getting abused? How, how do we balance this out? Here's a question we need to ask ourselves. Okay, here's the first one. When I'm wronged, what kind of mercy would I want? If I was in their shoes and I had made a mistake and I had forgotten to pay off a $200 debt, if I had for, forgotten to, to show up for an appointment, if I did wrong my ex, what, would I, what kind of mercy would I want? Would I just keep loaning an addict $100 and just keep giving them money? Would I just let criminals off? Would I just continually take abusive sentences from my coworkers? What would I want to do in that situation? Well, here's, here's something that we see. Love means calling wrong, wrong. So in the, in the passage, Jesus uses these words, hate, curse, abuse. Jesus says enemies twice. He'll go on to say sinners four times. He uses the term ungrateful. He closes the passage today with hate. Jesus calls wrong, wrong. This is not we're turning a blind eye to wrong. This is not we're just going to continually be abused. We're going to call wrong, wrong. And in the midst of that, we need to identify with the mistake there and ask ourselves this question. What kind of mercy would I want if I was the one doing wrong? How How do we balance that out? Has someone wronged you before? Here, here, let me get a little more specific. Is someone wronging you today? Who's your enemy today? Now, you might not call them your enemy. You might not say your wife or your husband's the enemy, but are you treating them like the enemy? You might not say, kids, your brother or your sister's the enemy, but are you treating your sister like she's the enemy? Who's your enemy today? This is what I want to encourage you to think through this week. If you have a small group, like this might be a great question to bring up to small group. Hey, I'm going to say out loud the name of someone who I've treated like and has been an enemy to me, and I want to respond differently towards them. Do you have an enemy today? I think some of us might say uh, the president or the president-elect or the governor or our political leaders or our boss or the way things are happening in our society, they're the enemies. Do you have an enemy today? I've got some. I've got people that I'm, I'm wrestling with. How do you take this passage and lay it down next to your situation and, and, and make the gospel apply? Here's the first question you ask. What kind of mercy would I want in those shoes the team here loves you. That's one thing I can say about uh, the men here on your staff. I've talked to them many times. And I, I don't think one time I've heard them say anything sideways about an attender at this church. Their tone is, we love our church family. God has brought us together. We're going through the flood called COVID, but our ministry is locked arms. It's beautiful. I've heard that tone from them time and time again. Are you going through a problem with an enemy? You know who would love to talk to you? Any one of the staff members here, they would love to say, hey, we can process that with you. We can give you wisdom. Maybe you don't know how to navigate this situation. What kind of mercy would you want? And they, could, they can coach you and shepherd you right through that. And I, I would encourage you to lean into your small group, lean into your church leadership this week if you're struggling with an enemy in your life because it gets sticky sometimes. 
It's easy to say on Sunday, but then on Wednesday we get attacked and then it gets really hard. And so I would encourage you, reach out to your leadership, reach out to your community, and let's talk about what, what enemies actually look like. Okay, so here's the first question. What kind of mercy would I want in those shoes? Here's the second question we ask ourselves when facing enemies. Would you look with me at verse 32? It says this. If you just love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. So here's Christ raising the bar again. If I just love my kids because they love me, or I just love my grandma because she loves me, congratulations, I don't deserve smiley face stickers for that. If you went into Chick-fil-A today, well, you can, it's Sunday, sad face. (laughs) If you went into Chick-fil-A this week and you walked up to the counter and the lady behind the counter says, do you want sauce? We got barbecue, honey, mustard, communion sauce, manna from heaven sauce, you can have it all. And they just offer you everything and they say things so polite to you and then you finish the conversation with thank you. You've not killed it. They were nice to you first. This is when the rubber meets the road when you go into Taco Bell and they give you three crusty sauces and the sauce is all over the packet so it's just like, it's it's toxic and then they're rude to you behind the counter and messed up your chalupa. That's when things get really difficult. Jesus says, what benefit is it if we are, as the body of believers, the followers of Jesus, only loving the people that love us in return? That's first-based Christianity. I'm calling you to something greater. Verse 32, Even sinners can do that, verse 33. If you do good to those who did good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same, verse 34. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners can lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But here it is again, you ready? Love your enemies and do good and lend if you have a pen, would you underline lend? It's in, your ver- it's in the passage there three times in a row. Lend, lend, lend. Love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in re- return, and your reward will be great. Here's the second question we act ourselves when we're dealing with enemies and difficult people. Number two, how can I move from lending to giving? How can I move from just like, holding a grudge and leaving it out there to actually releasing and giving away. A bank can lend, right? I think the church should do better than that. Are you saved today? Has Jesus become your Lord and Savior? Has he forgiven you of your sins? If he has, are you so glad that God doesn't lend salvation to you? He's not like, just baiting you with frequent flyer miles trying to get you saved and and calling you to a higher and higher interest rate and tricking you. He's not offering salvation on a platter and then taking it away. Aren't you so glad that God doesn't lend, but he gives salvation away freely? He, He didn't send Jesus down to earth and just let him stay here for a little bit and get you in trouble and then pull the rug out from underneath us. That's not how the Lord operates. And so if you've been saved today, this is what naturally happens. This message of Jesus, which is one of his favorites, he preached it multiple times. This message becomes part of us. This is what Jesus practiced for us. He put himself in our shoes. He gave us the type of mercy that we needed 
He didn't lend us salvation. He gave it freely to us, and then he gave us more. And the Bible says that he did all that while we were his enemies. And so now here we are talking about our enemies, and we're fools if we say we don't have any. And God says we were his enemies, and he loved us anyway. So while we're dealing with our enemies, we love in return. If the gospel's transformed you, it transforms how you deal with the people that wrong you the most. It transforms the way you talk to your spouse. It transforms the way you talk to your brother and sister at home, kids. If Jesus can forgive you and he's long-suffering and patient with you, we, we take the same steps to be patient. So how do I move from lending to giving? Here's the way we do it. We do it because Christ has already done it for us. And we got to remind ourselves of that over and over again. He doesn't hold it over our head. It's not a grudge in the back of his heart that he's, that he's bringing up to us repeatedly. He's releasing freely. Lending is embarrassing. Giving is empowering. Lending is embarrassing. Giving is empowering. Would you look with me at verse 35 and verse 36? It says this. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And look at these last two phrases here, this last verse. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Do you realize today that we can go weeks sometimes, months sometimes, and not think about our salvation and be ungrateful for it? The Bible says he's still kind to you. We might be ungrateful. We might be evil. We might be the man that's holding grudges. God, the most high, is kind even to us. And in verse 36, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Why are we merciful? Why would we turn the other cheek? Why would we let go of grudges? Because Jesus Christ, our, our father, God, has done that for us. So here's a third question we ask. Not how can I get back at them? Not uh, how, how am I perceived? Number three, who's high and mighty? Who's high and mighty? When we hold grudges, when we backhand, we are proving that we believe we're higher than we really should be. And the question we ask ourselves is who is high and mighty? The answer is in verse 35. The Son of God, he came and he died on a cross, risen up on that cross, on the mountain, he was high, and he is mighty for us. COVID has been a really weird season, and in the last couple of months, there's been a few pastors that have come to mind. One of my friends is a pastor in Arizona, and they were renting a storefront. Their church is about a year and a half old, and God has brought a church together, and he's been leading really well through just a lot of problems there. And just a couple of months ago, the lease was terminated at their building. And there was no breach of lease. Their contract was just cut early. And so they went from having a young church to having no facility to meet in in Phoenix, Arizona. And that's a problem, especially in the summer when it's crazy hot. And his tone was so sweet. God's going to lead us to a place. God's not going to bring us a church family and lead us nowhere. And we're confident that God will bring us the right facility Another one of our friends, Ben Hurt, is in Elkhart, Indiana. Same story. Lease terminated at their school. You got 60 days to leave. What? We thought we had a year left. Nope, you got 60 days. You got to leave. You know what his tone was with his wife? We're homeless. 
We got to find a facility in 21 days. We got three weeks left, but that's okay. The Lord will provide. He'll bring us the right church. My wife and I, when we heard that, we stayed up late on Zillow and commercial websites in Elkhart, Indiana, and we're looking at commercial buildings. Then we started stalking churches in Elkhart going, Lord, would you help this church to tank? So they have a building and we're all frantic and irritated. And we're like, man, you should talk to the school. They shouldn't do that to you. You know what his tone was? Their ministry's tone was not, let's sign a petition irritated at the school, not let's demand that that was wrong but we are going to trust God anyway. Both of those ministries have a much nicer facility today than they had just a few months ago. And this is is what the Lord does. We think, if I lower my guard, I'm gonna get hit. And so I need to keep it up and I need to protect myself. The Lord is high and mighty. He's got this figured out and he will be faithful to lead us through. When we believe we're high and mighty, we get in all kinds of problems. When we wrap ourselves again and again, we get in all kinds of problems and we will be eternally frustrated. And the Lord says, I don't want you to be damaged. I want you to have peace. And peace only comes when we trust the Lord and we lower our guard. He is high and mighty. This thing called mercy is a family trait. If you're a kid here today, there's probably some things that you do that's kind of like your mom and your dad. And you might have had your grandma or your grandpa tell you, you look like your dad, and you might roll your eyes and go, great, I'm an old 40-year-old guy, and you might have really struggled with that. We have a tendency to carry family traits with us, and this is what God says in our text today. I've given mercy. I have turned my cheek to my enemies. You've been my enemies, and I've loved you anyway. And so we become more like our high father. That's the natural overflow the family trait becomes ours. So as we close today, I'm going to look at a passage of scripture on the screen. It's from 1 John. It says it clearly this way. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Have you been born again? Do you know God? Then the natural thing is love. It's the family trait. Anyone who does not love does not know God. That means we got to struggle with a really hard question. Hey, Christians, if you've got a string of broken relationships behind you, all these people that you will not talk to, they were on the deacon board with me, uh-uh, I'll never see them again. If you've got a train of those broken relationships, you got a really hard question to ask yourself. Do I know God? Because when we know God, we love like him, and he doesn't have a train of broken relationships because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest. How was it showed? God sent his only son into the world. Praise God he did that so that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the payment, the in-between for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us by giving mercy, by modeling love for our enemies, by taking Christ's favorite sermon and applying it to our lives. What we are actually able to do is reflect the God of love that we claim to serve. So as a church family, 
I'm gonna encourage you this week, who's your enemy? How do, I, how do I think differently towards them? Not how do I protect myself, but how do I reflect Jesus Christ? You can do that this week. Let's pray together. God, I wanna thank you that while we were your enemies, in the midst of it, you loved us anyway. God, there were times where we slapped you on the cheek, and so how you responded was to turn the other cheek. There are so many things that we've stolen, so, so many pieces of um, your, our lives that were just ripped out of, ripped out of um, the wrong place. And so, God, you died for all of that. God, not only physically were your clothes taken from you when you hung on the cross for us, but we've taken many other things as well. And God, you were hungry for us. You were poor for us. You were abused for us. And so, God, I pray that you would help us in small ways. It might be embarrassing to compare to the way that you've done it. But God, I pray in small ways we would more often reflect the love that comes from our Father. God, we're not high and mighty, so I pray you would help us not to treat ourselves like we are. And I pray that you would help remind us every day that you are high, you are lifted up. So because of that, God, we long to live as a church that loves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. We love God's word here, don't we? And so we have the opportunity before we go to respond and take deep to heart the things that we've heard. Thank you, Eric and Klingel family. Let's be reminded again, Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. That's where we go as you process this message, looking for that grace that only God can give. Let's stand up on our feet today and let's respond with all of our hearts.
loving kindness leads me to repentance your loving kindness leads me to repentance Lord let your kindness lead me to we've experienced the mercy of our Lord and Savior ourselves and we dive into that mercy and we understand what it is to receive it we will not be able to extend it to others so here's your challenge as you leave today thank you Eric wonderful message um, where are you at with that have you received the mercy of Jesus Christ do you know what it is to experience it that if you haven't please let us know Your staff will be down here. Elders will be standing down here ready to discuss it with you. So please come down. If you're having a hard time, brother or sister in Jesus, having a hard time extending mercy to those who are in your life, come on down. We'd love to talk to you as well. I am so happy to be a part of this church, and I'm so happy to see your faces today. Thanks for coming out. Know this church. You are loved, and we'll see you again next week.